electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Carl, thank you very much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The road ahead for stocks and what today's CPI does to the committee's market outlook. We'll discuss and debate that. We are joined in moments today by Wharton Professor Jeremy Siegel. Excited about that. Also with me for the hour, Stephanie Link, Jim Labenthal, Josh Brown, of course, our senior economics supporter, Steve Leisman. Given the news of the day, we need his expertise with us as well. Let's first check the market, see where we are. Just past 12 noon in the east, the Dow is down a cool 1%. That's 343. S&P's lower, as is NASDAQ. Basically, lows of the day for stocks. Bonds down, yields up. That's the 10-year, 378, right? Headline CPI was mostly in line, a touch hotter than expectations. And that is a story we need to deal with, and we will get to that and the market action as well. But first, we have Josh Brown with another new buy, Mm. which is why we wanted to lead with that and tell you all about it first. It is Uber. I mean, it is Oracle. It's Oracle. You already owned Uber. Now you bought Oracle, but it's related to Uber? Well, there's there's news today that, that related to Uber. Um, But just taking a step back, I used the weakness this morning. This is a stock that had been on my radar technically for a while, uh, really forced me to look at what was what has been going on with the company fundamentally. I have to be honest, this has been a very boring company that I have ignored for a decade. They had basically no revenue growth. They had been left behind by some of the biggest megatrends in tech. And if you like talk to the average person and ask them about any other two or three hundred billion dollar technology company, it's likely Anyone knows the names of the CEOs. Nobody even understands what's going on here because they pay no attention. Safra Katz has made an incredible stride as an executive. I think she's been doing all of the right things, pushing into the cloud. And today, uh, this news that Oracle and Google, Google's fourth in cloud, Oracle's not even in the top uh, five, uh, won this business from Uber. Uber famously does not use the cloud. They, they have their own data centers. That was a Travis thing from back in the day that they were very proud of. Now that they are moving into the cloud, the fact that they selected Oracle as the service provider here over AWS, which powers Lyft, and over Microsoft, which is the big guy, um, I think it's pretty impressive. Not a lot of people know that Oracle also powers uh, TikTok in their cloud. So you've got incredible organic revenue growth in the cloud. Um, They've been very aggressive in taking share. And in addition, last year they did the Cerner acquisition. It was a $28 billion deal, the biggest deal that Oracle has ever done. The the second biggest deal is $10 billion. Um, and, And that's now digesting. And that, I think, is going to be the biggest vertical in the world for the cloud. Anything related to to healthcare, very important. So uh, that's the story on Oracle. Technically, you've got a name that's 18% off its all-time high. It is within a few dollars of uh, its its 52-week high. I think technically you've got a really nice setup here. The fundamentals are in sync with that. And this is a name that has yet to really be discovered um, by investors that are looking at all these other 
tech large caps. It's kind of been lost in the shuffle, and I think this year could be the coming out party. Quiet move uh, right up uh, against the 52-week high, as you said, just a few bucks away. Dividends, buybacks, like a lot, there's like a lot of positive attributes to Oracle um, that, that relate to what's in vogue in the market right now. I just think you have the, the wind at your back. Okay, so you see the stock moving higher. We'll keep our eye on it for the remainder of the hour, of course. Farmer Jim has a new move as well. We're going to wait a little bit to tell you guys about that because I do want to get to the markets and dive into what happened with CPI, what the impact is on stocks. As you see, it's now negative. It took a while for the stock market to figure out which direction it, it wanted to go. Uh, but, Jim, so here's, here's the deal, right? Inflation isn't going up. That's good as a whole. Uh, it's not coming down that fast, though. That's a problem for your view on where we are, right? So can I start by saying this? I'm really happy with the market response today. I mean, this is not a freak out day. I mean, yeah, it was up, it's down, but this isn't like, you know, if we did this over the summer and we had a, a hot reading like this, and I do think it was hot, um, you know, the market would be down 2 3% and be crescendoing in the day. This just feels like maybe the market is starting to take inflation in stride. Now, as for the actual number, I'll tell you right now, I didn't like the 0.5% month over month, right? Because prior to that, you had six months that in total, uh, you know, when you're looking at the month over month, it was up 0.9 percent. Now Energy you get half of that in one percent. Energy and used Problems. cars. Energy and used cars. Okay, so no, used no, cars went way down. No, used cars. cars went down. I'm it's sorry. Energy ticked cars. up and food ticked up. No, a lot of that was due to eggs, but still, so inflation is. I'm sorry. Sticky. The, 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 the detail got missed here, okay, which is that if you look at fuel, right, it's come down since then, all right? If you look at the overall trend, we are where we were a year ago just before uh, the Ukrainian invasion in terms of gasoline prices. Mm-hmm. So you had this blip up in January, but it's reversed. And what it looks like to me is, yeah, this is a little hotter than I would have liked it, but it doesn't look like the overall trend in declining inflation is down. Last thing I'll say on this. Seven months, okay? Seven months, you look at it, the headline CPI is up 1.9%. Now, I know and we all know the Fed's looking at core services, ex-shelter. Here's what's going to happen. If they keep focusing on that while the headline is moderating nicely and they start putting people out of work, nobody's going to give them credit for core services, ex-shelter. They're going to say, what are you doing? You're putting people out of work while the headline's getting better. They're going to have to play the political tune here pretty soon. So let's do this. The yields have moved up somewhat significantly, right? The, the rates market is in lockstep with the Fed now, isn't it? If you look at, the, big story. If you look at Fed funds, story. that's in lockstep, yeah. if not a little hotter than where the Fed itself is. I want you to address that, and then we're going to get to the issue of whether the stock market is in denial or delusional. But you talk to me about yeah, what's and, happened and, in and the rates <clears> market. Let me put some... I don't know if Jim intends this context, but the context of the market doing okay today is in context of what's happening in the rates market. That, to me, is what makes it okay, not terrific, obviously. But if you take a look at the two-year, the six-month, anything like that, sharp increase in rates in the, in, the, in, in the wake of this. And what's happened is this dramatic story, Scott, of – let me give you the context of that, which is we've been talking about this gap between the Fed and the market for the year-end rate, where the market had built in all these cuts – and those cuts have now gone away, and the market came to the Fed. I'll show you two charts now. Guys, the multi-bar chart I got in the back, the Fed rate outlook is the first one. You can see what's happened here. First of all, for the peak rate, the market has gone beyond the Fed here. There, the green line is the Fed, folks, if you're playing this game at home. And look, the market is now above that 513 average Fed forecast for the August contract. And then 
Look at the year end there. Five weight, just five basis points separates from now. That was 80 basis points. You can see that more starkly in the next chart, which is the year end rate back on the 18th of January, which is low for the year. The market thought they'd end the year at 434, 70, 80 basis points of cut built in. That's gone away. So now the market has come to where the Fed is. And now the stock market has to adjust, and that's your game, not mine. Does it need to adjust? No, that, but that's the big that's the big setup. Well, it's does adjusted. It, does it need? Well, does it need to further adjust right. the stock market? Yeah, uh, it does. Before, before I would say one thing that's worth pointing out here is the risk no longer is the Fed doing less. The risk now is the Fed doing exactly what it says or more. Especially with that's that, where the risk is tilted now. Scott. Especially with that lodging away from home number of seven point seven percent. But seriously, what, what that's services and services we know is seventy three percent of core CPI, and that number remains extremely hot. And that was the thing for me that stood out of all of these numbers. So, what does it mean for the stock market? Uh, look, I mean, uh, we've seen this year we've seen growth outperform value. Uh, largely because people thought that the Fed was going to eventually pause and then pivot, right? Um, and we would see slower growth. Well, we are going to see slower growth, but the Fed is not going to change their tune anytime soon. Not with all of these numbers. Headline, core, super core, like I just mentioned, services. So is that trade so, now in big trouble? Because Leesman today on Squawk said about the cut pivot story, the cut story's over. Yeah. That's what you said, yesterday's right? News. That ship has sailed, or but, yesterday's but, news. But, Scott, I don't think this is terrible, right? Because I think earnings actually matter more. And earnings actually have been okay, not great, right? 80% of the S&P 500 report, 69% have beat. Yeah, but that okay, doesn't so matter. Fine, maybe. Yes, it actually does. No, it doesn't. If you look, I mean, but, but no, earnings growth actual in the, in the, it, for the fourth quarter is down 3.7%. And it's still trending lower than that. Well, it's right? expectations for the full year is Are at 1.5%. Or at 1.5%. 0 to 2% is what is expected. Where and was actually, it on January the 1st? It was 4.5%. Okay but, okay, but I think actually as we go through this year and we get the supply chain issues solved. We have inflation that is parts are coming down, even if it remains elevated. You have a, a, the dollar also down about 10 percent. I think also demand has been a little bit better than expected. I mean, look at Coke this morning, right? I mean, yeah. that organic growth of 15 percent, that's demand, right? So to me, and that's just one example. I can give you a lot of other examples in terms of earnings. So it is a stock picker's market, and you have to pick and choose and see which companies have pricing power, which actually have seen better demand. And I think earnings as a result have, I think they're actually going to be better than, expect, better than expected for the full year. Maybe the first quarter, second quarter is a little soft, but I think you're going to see a little bit better throughout this year. Does, does it, and that to me is the most important thing versus what the Fed is going to do. Does it make sense to you that the stock market has rallied as it has to start this year relative to where the rates market has now moved. I go back and it's the conversation that we've had for the last you know, however many days. Don't fight the Fed versus don't fight the tape. Here's, here's what the bull case is, and Stephanie just laid it out, but I want to clarify it. The bull case is the Fed raises one or two more times 25 basis points, okay? That's dependent on a few things. Let's see how February CPI and PPI comes in before their March meeting. But Stephanie just said something very important. It's what the earnings run rate is going to look like at the end of this year that the market's trading on. If what I just said about the Fed is true, then it's perfectly reasonable to expect that earnings at the end of this year will be accelerating into 2024. If, however— But they're trading the— other direction for now 
for now. For now. Well, what makes you think that it's the not Fed, going to continue the on the downward when street? When the Fed pauses, March or May, when the Fed pauses, the economy adjusts. The change in interest rates stopping, going to, going to neutral, no more changing on the Fed funds rate, allows companies, consumers, everybody to adjust to where interest rates are and start moving forward with their lives. So let's do this. Let's bring in our halftime headliner today to continue. I'm going to have you take okay. part in this conversation with us, too. Wharton Professor Jeremy Siegel joins us once again. Professor, it's good to see you. I mean, you, you've been arguing essentially that the inflation fight's over, that it's coming down a lot more than the Fed thinks. Doesn't today's report sort of show the opposite? Well, this was the first report that really wasn't better than expected over the last three or four months. Um, what, what I like is that finally Jay Powell is talking about ex-housing in his data, realizing how distorted the housing data is in that CPI, um, you know, so lagged, it's, you know, up 710, 710, when all the, you know, actual apartment, Zillow, apartment list, uh, Case-Shiller indexes are all going down. Actually, I've constructed my own core and regular CPI using actual housing and rental prices uh, core inflation has actually been negative over the last four months. Um, if you actually put in what's happening in the market. Now, you know, uh, at, at least Jay Powell is now trying to talk about ex-rental because he knows how distorted that is. And by the way, as, as, as Stephanie mentioned, I mean, if 40 percent of the core is housing, housing shows 0.7 percent. When you do the math, Three-tenths of the percent of the increase of that four, what, four-tenths increase uh, was due to the distorted housing data um, that you actually had. Uh, and, and that's taking it out. If you actually put in a negative number, you bring it down to minus one-tenth of a percent but I, that I, I actually brought. I wonder you know. if, you, if you will admit that you've been too bullish that you've been making the argument that inflation was basically going to fall off a cliff and come down in a near straight line. In fact, today's report proves the opposite of that and suggests, if anything, it's going to be a lot lumpier than some of the more well, optimistic people have expected or thought. Well, first, first, we have to realize, you know, it's interesting, the impatience, I think, people, you know, it's less than one year since the Fed started tightening what, March, um, first Fed funds increase. I, I remember when I went to school under Milton Friedman, he said, oh, it's 12 to 18 months before you can get any effect on prices. We've had a lot of effect on prices in the first 12 months. And uh, people are all upset because it's not down to 2% after you know tightening started 11 months ago. This is a long process, uh, to be sure. Um, and it's a process that the Fed has to let go through the market uh, rather than stomping on it so much to get it down to two. And then, yes, I did and worry about the consequences. And yes, that January report on labor certainly surprised me. I'm not going to deny that. And, and really, what, that, what does that bring up? The, the no landing scenario. What, why is the stock market holding up? It's, well, you guys have said it. It's because really, if we don't have a recession, at the at the second half of this year, earnings are going to be set to accelerate uh, into 2024. Is that bad for the stock market? No. Remember the first on the first trading day, I was on Squawk Box 
uh, in the morning before the market opened. And they asked me, what do you think of the stock market going to do this year? I said, 10 to 15 percent. They thought that was crazy high. And they said, yeah, and that's in the second half of the year, right? I said, I'm not sure it's in the second half of the year. Uh, when everyone thinks the first is bad and the second is good, I often think the opposite. Well, you know, we've had a 7.5% return to date, half the prediction that I made for the year but, already. Right, but um, you've also made the argument that in, in to fit into your thesis on how you know successful the market can do this year, that the Fed's going to cut rates, right? Yeah, well, that, I, I got, mean... Well, I got Leisman sitting right to my right, who I wanted to get involved in this conversation, too, who says that ship has sailed. Professor, I, that, I, I don't think it's sale. I don't. I mean, I am still worried about the cumulative effect of the tightening. I, and by the way, I I don't think the you know the Fed. Well, you know, Fed, uh, you know, Steve said it's where this Fed is now. Actually, the chart he showed is where the Fed was in December. We will find out in five weeks where the Fed actually is now. Uh, as far as that's concerned. Yeah, I, 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 I will admit, I, I was very worried that they were slowing things down too much. Uh, the January data uh, on payrolls was like unbelievably good. We know it's unsustainable. Uh, I still think we could get a, a reversal, maybe even negative data in February. We'll have to wait and see what that actually comes. But yeah, I, I do see a stronger economy than I saw four weeks ago, to, to be sure. And that would mean more likely that the Fed would not reduce the rate as fast in the second half of the year. I still think that the cumulative effect of, a, of an extreme tightening is still going to be a, uh, seen in the second half I, of the I year. Know, but you're making a major change here, because if you now don't think that the Fed is going to cut in the second half of the year, if you think the economy is still stronger now than you thought it would be, and thus they're going to remain more aggressive than you first thought, you can't have all things then equal. You can't think that the stock market's going to go to 4,800 if all of the other things you just said are true as well, can you? Well, Scott, I say less likely. I didn't say that they're not going to cut in the second half of the year. I don't think they know whether they're going to cut in the second half of the year. I'd say the January data that I have, that we saw on payrolls, made me think less likely. I still think it is likely, more than 50%, that they will cut. More than but 50%. maybe I thought it was 80. Maybe now I think it's 50% wow. that they're going to cut. Uh, I don't think anyone, including the Fed, knows, because really, if you want to know the truth, they plan their... Uh, their increases or decreases or policy 10 to 14 days in advance. All the further out ones are depend are totally data dependent on what they see. If we see a negative payroll in February, not impossible, we're all going to be changing our tune about what the Fed is going to do. The professor is right about this in the following. Uh, historically, he's right in the sense that it is normal for the Fed to hike to a rate or cut to a rate and then tweak on the backside of that. I asked uh, New York Fed President John Williams about that. He said, yeah, we could tweak a quarter either way. The important thing is the context of where they're going to. The other important bit of context, I think, here is, folks, I guess Van Morrison had a song, there'll be days like this. There will be days like this. And I think, Scott, you were talking earlier, the idea of a linear move from high inflation to low inflation, if that's what you thought, that's where the error was. There's going to be days we're going to have 
up and down on oil prices, up and down on food prices. I think in general, disinflation is taking hold of the economy. Right. And we're going to get there. But we're going to get there maybe more slowly, especially in context of what Professor Siegel was talking about, that the economy is stronger than we thought right now. You know what that means? So it means that it's higher for longer. It means higher for longer. But but the question I want to ask, if I could, Professor Please. Siegel, is having been a student of his for many years, we talk about the centrality of, centrality of profits. In the context of high inflation, companies have been able to raise prices and increase their profit margins. And you got me onto that story a year ago and change. When we talked about the history, you sent me those 80-year charts that you have uh, in the back of your pocket there. What about now? Inflation coming down, it strikes me this is a bit like the tide going out. We may find some companies that aren't necessarily wearing swimming trunks, so to speak. Well, don't forget the big boom in profits of 2021 was they really started raising ahead and they had locked in a lot of the costs. I mean, some of it was labor costs that they locked in. A lot of it was those low interest rates. A lot of firms, you know, extended the maturity of all their debt, getting those, uh, you know, unbelievable 1% coupon 30-year bonds. So there, we had an incredible boom there as they took advantage. Now, that's, that's not going to repeat itself, to but be pro- sure. Profit margins are way high relative to histor- history, right? Well, they've been trending upward way before this inflation. I mean, a lot of it has to do with tech becoming more and more dominant. If you actually do it ex-tech, the, the, the profit margins are not that much higher than they have been historically. But so, tech margins have always been high. International uh, uh, portion of the S&P, which, you know, back in 1960 and 70 was 10%, so now 40%, that's always been a higher margin business. So some of that is just because of the composition of the S&P and not just because, you know, firms are making, you know, unsustainably higher profits. So, Professor, it sounds to me like you're not ready to back off your bullish call for stocks. I want you to, I want to read to you a comment that J.P. Morgan's Marco Kalanovic made in, in a note. And he, like you, was more bullish than most. Um, until he realized, perhaps, that reality was setting in. He says, quote, we see the equity risk reward is skewed to the downside as upside potential for markets is likely fairly limited given stretched valuations and higher rates, while downside could be meaningful. So you have no issue. You think the market multiple where it is 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 fair and reasonable. Because this has all been really multiple expansion that's gotten you this rally that we've had. So how would you address what he says? Well, I mean, we're, we're, we're looking at, what, 18 and, and a half, 18, 18 and a half times this year's earnings. Um, I don't think that's high. I mean, it's a high as, as compared to 150-year average. Uh, but if you, if you see that over the last 60 years, the trend has been up. And in fact, the trend line is now at a 20 P.E. If you take a 50 year average of price earnings ratios, I don't think that, you know, you would say that it is stretched valuations at this particular juncture. And if we don't get an earnings recession, don't forget, as as we've mentioned, earnings has the earnings estimates have come down dramatically. You know, 2000, we've just finished the fourth quarter. You know that 2022 earnings were $10 below 2021 earnings. So we actually had an earnings recession last year. And the earnings estimate this year, which is what, 200, 
and 20 to 19 or whatever is only 6% above what it was two years ago. So in many ways, we've already made a lot of correction in terms of that boom of earnings that we had in, in, in 20 and 2021. And uh, I do not believe that we have stretched valuations at the present time. We're going to make that the last word. We'll leave it there. Professor, thank you. Professor Jeremy Siegel joining us once again from the Wharton School. Up next, we do have more committee moves, as I said, why Farmer Jim is selling a stock that's up nearly 30 percent this year. You don't want to miss that. We're back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit ODFL.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right. We mentioned Farmer Jim has a big move in the market. It is a sell, and it is the best-performing Dow stock this year. It's Salesforce. You sold it. Why? Uh, because I've been given a gift. You, you know, Scott, you remember back in December, we were talking about this a few times. You know how uncomfortable I was with this stock, with its multiple. It was my only exposure to what I'll call high-priced or hyper-growth stocks. Um, with everything that's gone on the last few months, multiple activists, layoffs, the stock has popped. It's up about 40% in three months, and I'm just not comfortable with it. Look, for all of you who are staying in it, I hope you make gobs and gobs of money. I mean it. I'm going to go back to my knitting. I've got Josh over to my left talking about Oracle. I've got Stephanie to my right talking about IBM. I've got all sorts of opportunity to replace this technology name with a technology name that I can understand the pricing better of. So I'm taking the gift so of this never, last three months. So what are you making a statement? You're never buying a high multiple stock ever again? Because I never say never. It was a great movie. Sean Connery, last Bond film he did. And maybe you said um, that after Roku. No, that was trading. That was just some fun. You know, you know that was just for fun, okay? That wasn't an investment. That was just my foray into momentum. No, it is highly unlikely, Scott, to answer your question seriously. This is, I, I have a hard time with a 30 multiple. Yeah, but you I don't just wanna, do. You don't wanna, what was it you when you bought it? The, the activist? H- higher, okay? 40. Not not a good investment. You're being, now you're getting to the punchline here, yeah. Or You know, it wasn't a good investment. No, I, no, no, I no I'm not trying to do I mean, it's on. like, you have a problem at 30. I don't, I don't remember. I mean, what, what the... 
what the multiple was in December of, of 2020 when you bought it. It was obviously a lot higher than it is now. It, that's absolutely true. And again, I've been given a gift to get out of it at this price. I'm not happy with anything about this. I still hope everybody who's in it makes money. I'm going to go make money doing the things that I do with the bulk but of my you, portfolio. Do you think the Sorry, acti- Steph. But do you think the activists, that makes a kind of an interesting story beyond the fundamentals, no? So, Stephanie, I, I think it's a sugar high. I mean, I think mm. 40% in three months, I think that's the effect of the activist. Now, sometimes, you know, Paul Singer at Elliott, he did a fabulous job at Marathon Petroleum. That was a yeah. long-term, multi-year activists have a, a good result. I'm not sure that going toe-to-toe with Benioff and, you know, Dan Loeb's now in the stock now and others are in there. I, I, that feels more like a distraction to me. Do you have a take on this? Yeah, Salesforce has like a thousand middle managers running around Manhattan swiping credit cards. It is not a lean, mean fighting machine of a business. It can be someday. I think that's what the activists want to do here. They're not looking for Salesforce to radically remake itself. They just want to see some discipline, which is what has worked for other large software and technology companies to turn themselves around. It ain't complicated. It'll probably happen. I don't know how long it'll take for the market to catch up uh, and and start to give them credit. Um, But we're in the early stages. We don't really know, like, are there going to be board seats? Like, what's really going to go on? But you're someone who likes the, you you use the product, I think, right? You like the company. You love it, right. But you don't like the stock. I don't like the stock. Even with the activists involved. It's an irreplaceable product. I just think I can get the stock. Uh, for this same price later, if, if I wanted, or maybe lower. I don't like, really see the urgency here. So, uh, it, look, it's, it's, one of the best, it's one of the best pieces of technology that we use at, at our firm. It's indispensable for us. We're locked in forever. Can't get out. Can't move we your love, data. We love the product, uh, too. So it's, it's got a lot, to, it's, it's a lot positive to say about Salesforce, the product, and Salesforce, the company. So- Salesforce, the stock probably need some time. Let me ask you this. Let's just extrapolate that from what Jim did, took advantage, essentially. He said he got a gift. Mm. The gift being the pop in the stock, right? In an area of the market, Steph, that I know you don't like, should other people take the same gift and sell tech? Well, the I, growth that's that's run a lot. Tech in general, yeah. I mean, well, I, I mean, think it's you, run a lot. I think you should take some profit. That's what Jim's sure. doing. If without that move, I don't think he makes this move. I think there are pockets of tech that are still really attractive, though. As you know, I've been very positive on the semiconductor stocks, I'm, and they actually act really, really great. We're going to get applied materials on Thursday. That'll be interesting just to see because we know it's going to be really bad, but it's probably already reflected in the shares. And I think that the semiconductors are are cheaper. Uh, I think the software stocks have mean reverted, and so I think you do want to take some profits in software, for sure. I mean, Salesforce is, is just interesting because of the activists. That's the only reason why I, I, I asked you that question. But at 34 times EBITDA, like, that's a really hard to justify, given, where, given the fact that their growth actually is slowing, too, right? So I think you want to be very careful in terms of technology. Uh, I have been underweight for a very long time, but I do like pockets of tech. We're going to get to NVIDIA at some point. It's, tw- it's 1231. <laughs> What are we doing here? Go ahead. This stock just went positive on, on a 12-month look. There are not a lot of uh, stocks like this that are now up over, over the course of the last year. Um, this stock is on fire. Uh, there's a note today talking about AI, the, the AI gold rush um, leading to an arms race where NVIDIA is the primary beneficiary. Um, I, I think that's a story that all of us can really understand. This stock is now up 55% year to date. For context, the SMH, the Semiconductor Holders uh, ETF, is only up 23%, um, and the S&P is up only. 8%. So, well, just saying, <laughs> only. Uh, com- comparably speaking, <laughs> uh, at the low, which was, uh, let's go back to Valentine's Day last year, 2022. NVIDIA since then, at the low point, down 53%. Uh, 
um, and the S&P was down 18%. Now, NVIDIA is down 6% over the last year, and the S&P down 5 So you have something really interesting going on, which is a large cap, high growth, high beta, expensive tech stock starting to outperform the market. And I think uh, we want to pay attention to that because it's not just technical or momentum. There's a fundamental story driving why. Okay, so let's do this. Let's take a quick break. We'll talk about shares of Boeing hitting a fresh 52-week high today after a huge order. What it really means for the stock from here. We do have ownership, as you know, on the desk, and we're right back. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. We're back on the half. Boeing hitting a new 52-week high today after a really big plane order. Our Phil LeBeau joins us now with more details and what it means for Boeing. Phil? Scott, it's a huge deal. In fact, this is the single largest order by one airline for new aircraft that has ever been placed. A total of 470 planes being ordered by Air India. And the deal is pretty much split 50-50 between Boeing and Airbus. For Boeing, here's what it means. Mainly... 737 MAX is 190 of the 220 will be the MAX. As for Airbus, the bulk of these will be the narrow body, the A320neo, 210 out of the 250. By the way, for both airlines or both companies, the list prices of these uh, these aircraft, if they're sold at list, which they rarely are, comes out to $35 billion each. How important is that? It's 4% of the backlog for Boeing, 3% of the backlog for Airbus. Yeah, this is a huge deal for both of these companies, and it's also a huge deal for the suppliers. Take a look at GE. They make the Leap engine, you know, as part of their CFM uh, joint venture. That CFM Leap engine orders, more than 800 of those are going to be part of this for Air India. That is 8% of the backlog for Leap engines. And then you've also got Spirit Aerosystems. They make the fuselage for the 737 MAX. It's a huge deal there. They also make components for uh, Airbus as well. So for them, uh, they've got their separate issues in terms of cost and the issues that they're they're facing there. It's also a big deal. Quickly take a look at shares of Boeing, and I'm showing you a two-year chart here. Why are we showing you that? Because you're looking at a company that is now at levels we haven't seen, what, since the middle of 2021? Remember, they are at 31 a month in terms of 737 MAX production rate this year. Eventually, they're going to increase it, whether it's later this year, early next year. The real challenge will be the supply chain, Scott. We have talked about this before, and it's not just the primary ones like GE or Spirit. It's more lower down. They don't have the staffing that they need in order to increase their production so that they have the components that need to be shipped to Boeing and Airbus. That's the real challenge, whether they can increase that over the next year and a half. That is going to be the key for both Boeing and Airbus. Yeah. Phil, I appreciate it. Um, I want you to I'm going to throw another headline that I just saw at you. I, I, yep, not, I saw it. You Ford saw the one? Ford one that halting production yeah. and shipments of the electric F-150 due to a potential battery issue. Right. Well, and at this point, we don't know more than that. And, and essentially what this means is they're going to investigate what this potential battery issue is. It's too early 
to sit there and say, well, this is terrible news for the F-150 Lightning. It may be that this is an anomaly that they have figured out within the battery cell or within the pack structure, and they can correct it very quickly. Um, certainly, you don't want to stop production and stop shipments, but if it's something that they can correct relatively quickly and it's not a huge deal, then I don't think you're going to see a major sell-off on Ford shares. If it's something more, then it's a completely different story. Yeah, that's uh, quite a chart uh, that we're looking at right there. Phil, thank you. I appreciate that. And rolling with that breaking story on Ford as well. That's our Phil LeBeau. But let's talk to the owners of mm -hmm. Boeing. I'll go to you first because it's the Boeing and the GE yep. angle that Phil was talking about. And you own both. I own both. So orders really drive the Boeing stock, right? And so obviously this is very good news. But it was speculated last week that they were going to get this anyway. So I don't think that's why the stock is kind of seeing a muted reaction. But orders drive free cash flow. And that's what this stock really does trade on. And uh, 737 MAX is definitely seeing momentum, right? They actually just announced a new production line, the fourth of the 737 MAX is just a month ago. So you know that they're starting to see the momentum from the MAX now that it's up in the air and, and they, they don't have any issues. Jimmy? So, Steffi, I disagree with you a little bit. We're both long. We're going to come to the same conclusion, okay? But it's deliveries that really drive the free cash flow here. This Air India order has been talked about for three months. We, you know this. I mean, we, we need the deliveries. And for the deliveries, that's where free cash flow comes in. We need engines. That's what Phil talked about. But it starts about. with we orders, right? It starts with orders, they then it gets deliveries, they, then it's free cash flow. It's kind of saying the same thing. They have an order problem. I mean, they've nope. got seven years of backlog. They can produce these planes as quickly as they can get engines. And they, as quickly as they can produce them, they deliver well, them, they get Steph's cash. I think Steph's point, though, is you get the orders, then you make the deliveries, and then you I get the free cash. first you get the money, <laughs> then you get the power. You put the lime in the coconut, you put the lime in the coconut, and then something else happens. It's good news, period. Right. It's good news for well, both. nothing makes me feel well, more I mean, comfortable you know, Jim than, wanted to than, make sure. than them finally having the, the plane back in the air, and we're not having these conversations about class action suits and... Uh, what did the CEO know? Remember how boring that was for me to listen to you two? <laughs> and now we're talking about exciting stuff. So congrats, congrats to you both. So we yeah. have more to go. Like the progression of the actual sales process, that's more interesting to you? Yeah, what are some of the other like smaller steps in between? <laughs> we have plenty of time. Engine casting? Yes, Contessa know? Brewer thankfully has the headlines to interrupt this conversation at the perfect time, Contessa. Yeah, Scott, and we have an update on that story we've been following. The father of the Michigan State shooter tells NBC News his 43-year-old son turned evil and mean after his mother died of a stroke two years ago, quitting his job at a warehouse, staying in his room all day grieving. The father tells the Washington Post his son repeatedly lied when he denied having a gun in the house after a 2019 arrest on a weapons charge. Authorities say the shooter had a note in his pocket indicating a threat to schools in Ewing Township, New Jersey, where he lived several years ago. Public schools there closed for a day as a precaution, but they do plan to reopen tomorrow. And in Parkland, Florida, several events are scheduled to commemorate the 17 people killed in a school shooting five years ago today. Nicholas Cruz is serving a life sentence for that crime. Halftime returns right after this. All right, let's get now to our chart of the day. It's Cleveland Cliffs off the lows. Shares are still under pressure despite uh, beating estimates. Jimmy, so it was down 4.5%, four and, four and right? So it's come back a bit. Um, what's the story here from a stock that you've uh, touted on this program very often? 
Yeah, and the results have been very, very good. I have to say to my colleague to the right that in the four years I've owned it, it's up 115 percent. Good for you, Jim. The stock, the S and P is up 49 percent because she was, right. she was, What's she was, she was slamming me 30 seconds ago. You. But here's she owns the stock too. I, I, what are you talking I, I, about? Well, you heard it, but anyway, uh, let me get to the point here. I don't know this what is you're what's going about. on here. This is what's going on here. And actually, uh, I love Stephanie, and not just because she's in Cliffs, but because she pointed out that Cliffs has raised prices twice in the last two months. While their costs are going down, their volumes are going up as cars are being produced, and their capex is going down because they did all the work they had to do last year to upgrade the assets that they bought from ArcelorMittal and uh, uh, AK Steel. So you're going right into the sweet spot here, attractively priced, free cash flow. They're paying down debt. They're buying back shares. It's about cash flow. Oh, it's not about orders or deliveries. It's about cash flow. It's about you want to give flow. Steph a tutorial on how they actually get to the cash flow? Is it the iron ore, then the steel, the molten, then they sell it? And, okay, just making sure. Cliffs is like in the sweet spot with the infrastructure bills that have been passed, right? And auto, they have a very big exposure there. So that's, those are the two reasons, actually, I got into this stock late last year. But it is trading at 4.8 times EBITDA, so it's super cheap. And all I care about is adjusted EBITDA and volumes. And they beat on both of those metrics. So the headline was a little misleading. We don't really trade this stock or own this stock on the earnings per se. It's just too volatile given the underlying commodity Mm -hmm. price. But I do think fundamentals are are really shaping up well. Recession here means what for the stock, which had a 52-week high of 34 bucks? Mr. Bull? Well, it is virtually impossible to make a bull case in a real recession for a steel company. I mean, that's just not how it works. I'm not going to try to do that. What I will say, just about half of their business is autos. We know that autos are being produced as fast as they can get chips. You look at any dealer lot, and they're like one-third of what the inventory should be. Why is the stock down 41% from the high? Uh, it got a little ahead of itself. It got a little ahead of itself. Now, listen, to have these sorts of results. I'm serious. Like, I'm being serious. This auto too. market has let, been let, let me, let red me answer, hot. Let me answer your question because this is an important question and it's an important answer. These sorts of returns on a stock like this, I just told you over the four years I've had it, more than twice what the S&P 500 has given. In order to get those sorts of returns, you have to put up with volatility. Yes, I know it was at $34 a share a year ago or maybe it was 10 months ago. I didn't sell it then because I think it will be higher than that. But you have to hold this stock to get the sort of returns that I'm talking about through thick and thin. You can try to trade it. You can try. I haven't had good luck. I have much better results when I just hold this stock. Okay. Up next, Mike Santoli will be here with his midday word and still ahead. Of course, we're going to grade your trades. We will be right back. All right. Senior markets commentator Mike Santoli joining us now from the New York Stock Exchange for his midday word. So we're digesting CPI. Uh, Maybe we've finished doing that. What do you make of the action so far? Well, the moves, as we talked about after the close yesterday, Scott, kind of happened in advance of CPI in terms of the yields over the last couple of weeks. So the market wasn't caught completely flat-footed by the stickiness of CPI. I think it's all about now just exactly how strong is the economy. We're talking about, you know, Dallas Fed president talking about an overheated economy. Tomorrow we'll get some numbers on that with retail sales. Uh, See how January was. So trying to absorb the possibility of the likelihood of 5% Fed funds rate down the road and doing it okay. The the real downside leadership today is in the defensive sector. So to me, it's not that bad a story. Uh, The question is, can you get comfortable with that higher for longer piece of it? So we're we're definitely going to be prisoner to numbers on the economy that come out. 
And are, are we just now also going to have to wait for the next Fed meeting? Are we going to be range bound in, until then? I'm not sure if we have to be range bound until then. I think the Fed's message is going to be consistent leading up to it. You've got another inflation report. You have another jobs report before that. So I think we're going to we're going to try to handicap the next move or the next couple of moves before that. So I doubt we're just going to uh, kind of sit still in advance of the next Fed meeting. I'll see you in a few hours. We'll wrap uh, the day up with your last word. That's Mike Santoli at the Stock Exchange Grade. My trade is up next. And you can send an email to us, AskHalftime at CNBC.com. You can tweet us as well. We're right back after this. It's time for Grade My Trade. And first up, Jimmy, you are up. Bill in Michigan, a purchase Paramount, November of 2022, $16.13. I like the dividend, but it's run up quite a bit. Should I stay or should I go? It's up 32% year to date. I know. I'm sticking with it. I hear you on the 32%. What? No, I, know, I know you are. Yeah. Well, I don't care what you're I think doing. he should. What should he do? Well, All right? I, I mean, it's up 32% I don't, year to date. I, I got you. I got gotcha. you. I mean, I, I, I wasn't I think it's related to what I would do and what I'm telling him to do. I am not selling a share. I think it is worth a lot more than that. Now, we've got earnings coming up on Thursday uh, from Aptopia. We know that there's been a heck of a lot of downloads of Paramount Plus in the fourth quarter. There's still a question about when profitability comes there. But you look at the valuation. You look at the fact that the legacy business is funding the investment in the streaming business. Bill, you mentioned the dividend. There's a lot of reasons to stick this one out, even if it goes down a little little bit. And I don't think it will on Thursday. I think this is a good investment at this price that you should stick so, with. Because you got a, You said you got a gift with the pop in Salesforce. Maybe Bill's thinking I got a gift with the pop in para. And maybe I should just take the money off the table while the getting's good before those kind of stocks, those kinds of stocks that have run up a lot to start the year might reverse in the kind of environment where we're still in. I, I hear you, Scott. It's a valid question. You know, I would point to the dividend yield here of around 5%, uh, 16 times this year's earnings, which is trough earnings. Next year, Paramount Plus should be profitable. Compare that to Salesforce. It's a different story. I get, I get why you bring it up, but it's just a different comparison. Bill, I want better for you. I want a bigger gift for you. Okay. I um, mean, you got a nice gift already. Bill, thank you. All right, Steph. Mm. Uh, Estee Lauder from Stephen Dallas. Uh, sold Estee two weeks ago, 270. Did I get out too early? Should I be getting back in? That was a nice sale. It stocks, stocks at 255. I like this story very much because of the China reopening. They get 30% of their total revenues from this region. So if you think that they're going to reopen, the country is going to reopen, these guys should benefit. They're, they have a great pipeline. They have distribution changes at Ulta, at Target, at Kohl's. So I like it on weakness to buy. All right, good stuff. Final trades are right after this break. Overtime, 4 o'clock Eastern. We've got some Airbnb earnings. Hope all y'all will join me then. Look forward to seeing you. All right, let's do final trades. We don't have all, all that much time today. Stephanie Link. Uh, Zoletis, first. Re- really good quarter, 9% organic growth, which beat expectations. Mm-hmm. Companion animal up 15%. We love our animals. I like the stock. We almost made this our chart of the day as a result of that yeah. move right there, some 5.25% in an otherwise mm. ho-hum market. Jimmy, Farmer Jim. Citigroup, quietly outperforming this year. Uh, I think it continues. It's a perennial underdog. Very cheap. Uh, I think you got to respect this move. Okay. 
Josh Brown. I think NVIDIA will be in the headlines all year as the AI gold rush gets underway, and I'm staying long. What did you make of what the professor had to say at the top of our show? Uh, More in his camp or no? Uh, yeah, I think, 50, I, I think they started late, and I think they're going to go overboard at the end. But they do that every cycle, so like, that's not revelatory. That's what they always do. So they'll, be, they'll do it again. All right. We shall see. All right, uh, again, Dow's down 225. We'll call it that. S&P uh, down a, a little less than one half of 1%. I'll see you all in overtime. The exchange begins now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.